Good to see you all. Good to be back here again in Bernie Bible Church. Um, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We love your word. We love your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we love your church, Father. We want to uh, be built up. We want to be strengthened. We want to be conformed to the image of Jesus more and more and more, Father, until that day when we are like him. So, Father, to that end, I pray that you would give us understanding. I pray that your spirit would quicken hearts and minds, that the proclamation of your word would be uh, fruitful in the hearts of men. I ask this through your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. The book of Hebrews, as you probably know, is a book mainly written to the Jewish community. And what was going on, basically, is that, you know, things started out good. There's a lot of good miracles going on. and They're excited about, you know, the explosive evangelism. And the Christian life and following Christ is pretty exciting. But over a period of time, not sure how long, uh, you know, maybe 40, 50 years, maybe less, there would came under persecution from the uh, Jewish community, the the non-Christian Jewish community. And they were confiscating their goods, and they were uh, just doing things that were uh, a hindrance. And they were taking away their property. They were just doing a lot of things, as you can imagine. They were forcing them, pressuring them to return to uh, the temple and and the Levitical priesthood, these kind of things. And so what the writer of Hebrews does is he goes through and he reminds them that Jesus Christ is better, right? We have a better priesthood. We have a better lawgiver. We have a better covenant based on better promises. All these things are better, so why go back? And what he's saying, after he explains the doctrinal position, then in the end of chapter 10, really through the end, he, he, he is an encouragement to endurance, just persevere. Things look rough now and they're hard, but he says they're, but Jesus Christ is still Jesus Christ. And he is still worthy to be pursued. So at the end of chapter 10, he goes, then into 11, he says, well, look at these people who, who walked by faith, who endured. Look at them who endured. And we consider them faithful. They're the honored ones now, right? They, and they went through many hardships, many difficulties all through faith and the revelation that God made to them. So now in chapter 12, he's going to give basically a sevenfold admonition concerning this endurance, our fight against sin and our pursuit of holiness. Does that make sense? Because when we get, uh, I think when, when our hearts start growing cold and we become somewhat apathetic, less diligent in our responsibilities, I think that uh, we don't fight well against sin, do we? And we don't pursue holiness, pursue Christ. This is is a long race, isn't it? The Christian life is not a sprint. It's more like a marathon or a steeplechase marathon where obstacles are in the way, difficulties are in the way, and we are to keep looking unto Jesus and find him faithful Uh, even in the hardest of times, the most difficult of times. So with that little preface, 
let's jump into it. So I'm going to give you basically seven observations here. The first one's in the first part of verse 1, where he says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let's, let's stop right there. I think this cloud of witnesses are those in chapter 11, right? This great group of people who, by their lives, are witnessing, testifying of the faithfulness of God. In other words, all those people, not only in that chapter, but all through the Holy Scriptures, those who trusted in God were not ashamed. They were not put to shame. He says, since, since we have all these people, can't you see that it's worth it, that he is worth it, to lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us? Just lay it aside, right? You know, uh, Timothy says this. He goes, no soldier in active duty entangles himself in the everyday things of life. We just get entangled. Things that perhaps aren't sin, you know, just... Just a hobby or a leisure thing. We just get entangled. Uh, Mark talks about, Mark 4, 18 through 19, talks about that seed that fell among soil. You know, the, 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 in, it, in the weeds, it was weeds and thorns, and, and it couldn't bear much fruit. And So he says, get rid of that sin that easily besets us. But also he says this, let us, let us lay aside not only the sin... But every encumbrance, <laughs> that's, that's things that aren't necessarily sin, are they? What, in other words, I think we all can back off from our own lives at times and say, what are the things that encumber me? What is really hindering me? You know, is it love for pleasure? Is it love for television? Is it love for video games? You know, is it love for, you know, sports? Is it, what entangles me? Not sin. None of those things sin in of themselves, but they just hinder me. It would be like a marathon runner running with army boots on. Army boots and a three-piece suit with a tie. And, and is that against the law? To do that in the marathon? It's not against the law. But what? It doesn't get you to your goal. And our goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Those things, we have to evaluate those things and say, do these hinder? Are they legitimate times of recreation? That's not... We, God loves that when we truly rest and relax. But do they hinder our walk in Jesus Christ? The second thing he says in the second part of that verse, he says, lay aside the sin, lay aside the encumbrance, and here's the verb, and let us run. Let us run. Here's the key word, really, of the section, with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's a good picture, isn't it? We know races. Anybody watch a marathon for the whole? No, I never have. And let us run the race that's set before us. But we run it. We look, but looking, we're going to see in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, you see. We run this race, and the end of the race, the goal of our instruction, right, is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be like him. And that is the end, that is the goal to which all of us should be striving. Does that make sense? That there's no other goal. There's no other thing worth pursuing. There's nothing else worth putting all our time and energy and money into. But when we get tired and we get weary, we just want to 
ease back, don't we? And relax and just... And it's the same in our society, isn't it? We get a lot of uh, bad uh, press, you know, from folks, and the Christians are always belittled for being so negative, so bigoted, so and all. And, and we're tempted to what? Just give in. Just fit. And he says, don't do that. Run the race that's set before you, but it's an endurance race. Galatians 6, 9 says this, don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. So when we're weary, we keep running the race. Do you remember that uh, story in Luke 14 where, you know, the, the, the invitation went out? The invitation went out and one of them says, well, you know, I've, I've bought some land and I've got to go look at it. <laughs> uh, consider me excused, you know. And then another said... Well, I've just got a new yoke of oxen. I've got to go try them out. Consider me excused. Well, you're not excused. <laughs> and the other one says, I have married a wife. And cannot, right? I, none of these things, as important as they might be, the watching over of our property and a, and, a, and a marriage, none of these things should keep us from this invitation to pursue and follow the king. Amen. But this race is run with our eyes fixed somewhere. This is the third point. It's third point, first part of verse 2. So we're to lay aside all of our encumbrances and sins, right? Lay them aside. Just, just do it. Just lay it aside. You know what encumbers you. And we must uh, run the race that's before us. We must, okay, I'm going to run. But listen, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Why? Because he's the only one who can fulfill in you that's that which he requires of you by his spirit. You see? He's not saying, okay, get to work, Bill. He's saying, look unto me, because God is at work where? God is at work within you, but he's at work within you to will and do of his good pleasure. And his good pleasure is to conform you, me, to the image of Jesus Christ. Everything else is a hindrance. Look unto him. Look what it says here. He says, looking unto Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, the one who began the faith in your heart and brought you to himself, not only does that, but he perfects your faith. So all provision for this race is in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? All provision. And when the burden's on you and you just say, I just can't go on, well, that's true, you can't. <laughs> that's when we even more, we lift our eyes in, in our hearts and we cry out unto the Lord, set my feet on a solid rock. I feel like I'm sinking in the mire. Anybody besides me ever feel that way? You're just sinking in the mire. You know, there's no foothold. Well, there is a foothold. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ, our strong rock, our deliverer. We must cry out to him. Confess our total bankruptcy, our total inability to run this race set before us. Because he is the author and perfecter of faith. <clears throat> Hebrews 4 says that we are to come to him in the hour of need. 4, 14 through 16. That we should come unto our faithful high priest in the hour of need that we might find help and grace. You see? All grace, all sufficient. So we are to fix our eyes upon Jesus 
And then number four, consider him who endured. So he's the ultimate picture of one. Has your suffering ever came close to Jesus' suffering? Has what he has asked you to endure greater than what he had to endure? And think of the environment out of which he came. Perfect, right? (laughs) The heavenly places. He came from heaven and he endured not, not just the cross, but all of the plots against him, all of the accusations of being, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, right? All of this, he had to endure sinful man. How long will I be with you? <laughs> Even his disciples. And, but it says he endured, look at this, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against him. Why? Why should we consider that? So that you may not grow weary and lose heart. And I know a lot of us, I've lost heart at times. We all lose heart. We just, like I said, just feel like giving up, right? We lose heart, can't go on. But no, we should look unto him and consider him. Because the same Jesus who endured those things dwells where? In us. He's in us. He's active within us. But he's only active as within his will. Does that make sense? He's not working within you to you know, do this or that of our own pleasure, but he's working within us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So looking unto Jesus, I think looking unto Jesus for me uh, simply means this, is crying out to him in the point of need, considering what he has gone through, considering what he has provided for me, both in my justification and my sanctification, and I run that race before Run that race that's set before me, looking unto Jesus, fixing your eyes, who is the author and perfecter of faith. Now, the next section is in <clears throat> verses uh, actually 5 through 11. It's the longest section. And it starts, it says this. Let me just read it through. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Jesus did, didn't he? You have not been obedient unto death. Anybody? (laughs) No, we haven't had that. We haven't, God hasn't called us in our lives right now. He may do in the future, but to be obedient unto death and take the whip and the lash and the crowns and the thorns and you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. That's the negative thought, right? The striving. We're striving against something in this race. We're, we're striving against it. We're not letting our mind go into any, any media or anything that defiles our mind and that is contrary to Christ. And he says, you've forgotten something in verse 5. Verse 5 says... You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Okay, now that's good news because God's speaking to you as children. You are God's child. You are God's child. And he says this, my son, he's quoting Proverbs 3.11 here. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are Reproved by him. There's two things, two words in here 
The first one is discipline. Discipline. Don't despise the discipline. Now, this isn't merely corporal punishment or something like that, or stand in the corner, time out. No, it's the same word in Ephesians where it says, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of those. So our father nurtures us as his children in all ways. You see, in all ways. He's nurturing us. But if we resist that, if we are apathetic, which is resistance, right? Just our apathy is resistance against God, then we forget, don't we? We grow weary. So the second word is to be reproved by him. That's, that's correction. That's, that's just a pretty sharp rebuke, a pretty sharp correction by the Lord, and he may have to discipline you in the negative sense, right? may have to discipline us. And every, I believe everything we undergo, everything we undergo is some sort of trial and it's some sort of discipline, of the nurturing of the Lord. Does that make sense? Do you remember Paul's physical ailment he, he mentions in 2 Corinthians? So even something physical, a physical ailment. You know, he said, Paul says, I know what purpose, for what purpose God sent this this messenger of Satan to buffet my body, he says, that I might not exalt myself. And I found that sometimes under trial, under, under pain, under difficulties, I can really stop and say, what is God trying to burn out of me you know, through this? Be, because we, we pray so often, I pray so often, Lord, remove this thing. Right? And sometimes he does. I was looking on the prayer list. I don't mean to be silly, but still the same folks from the early 80s. <laughs> and, but we still pray, don't we? We don't cease praying. But Lord, I think most often says, no, my grace is, my grace is sufficient. So don't think the Lord is not hearing you. Don't think the Lord does not care for you. Don't believe the Lord has abandoned you. Just because he has a strong season of discipline and nurturing and correction. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Look at the, now in verse 6, there's a fact. Here's the fact, and it's, it's what we've got to cling to in all this discipline. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. I don't discipline Charlie McCall's children, though I feel like it sometimes. You know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I discipline who? My children. I discipline my children. And God disciplines who? Is that not an honor? Is that real? Think about that. That God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might be the children of God. Behold what manner of love, right? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. For this reason, the world does not know us. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So think of it in the positive sense. I have a tendency to think of of suffering and pain and difficulties and limitations in the negative sense. Do you? Yeah, good. Me and you, (laughs) I think that way. But we must flip that somehow, and it's hard amidst the trial, I'll admit, but we must flip that and say what? This is a demonstration of his 
love for me. You see? Well, it doesn't feel like love. You know, but the end is good. And we're going to get to that a little more in Hebrews. Let's continue on. Now, look at this. It is for discipline that you endure. Right? It's for the purpose of being... You're, you're, not, you're not enduring to hope you escape the discipline or the difficulty or the trial. But you endure for the discipline. <laughs> that doesn't seem right in the world's eyes, does it? We endure for discipline. In other words, not the punishment, but the discipline, the nurture. We endure because we want to be nurtured by Jesus Christ. We endure because we want to be conformed to his image. We endure because he is worthy. Right? He is worthy. It is for discipline that you endure, verse 7. God deals with you as sons. That's a good relationship, isn't it? Now look at this. For what son is there who his father does not discipline? It's only a normal relationship, isn't it? It's only normal. Now verse 8. But if you are without discipline of which all, all the children of God, have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons, not a child of God. Let me get a little sip of water. Honey, would you bring that water to me? I'm sort of dry. Other honey. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep it. But if you are disciplined, if you are without discipline of which all, all Christians, every Christian, has been set on a course, a race, he calls it here. And that goal is the same. It does not change for me. It does not change for you. It does not change for anybody. It's the same. And all Christians, all sons and daughters of God, endure that discipline for the same purpose. He says, but if you're without discipline, you're, you're illegitimate children. Not, you're not a son of God. So here, here's how we can evaluate ourselves on this. If you're, going, if you're just coasting through life and you come to church and you catch a rest and you, you know, you're, you're, you're negligent in, in reading your Bible, right? Hearing the Word of God, learning by faith. If you're negligent and really participating in the work of Christ and you get away with it, that's a dangerous position, isn't it? If God is not disciplining you to wean you from those things that hinder your faith, you might not be a Christian. I can't evaluate your heart, or, nor, nor any of you. But God's Word can, you see? God's Word can evaluate. But if you're going through life, and the psalmist complained about that once. He goes, why do the wicked prosper? <laughs> How come they do all this and get away with it? And he had a temptation, Psalm 73. It's a, he had a temptation to what? Drift back to what the world wanted. But he says, I can't do it. Because who have I in heaven but thee? And on earth I desire nothing but thee. So again, let me repeat this. And I want you to look at your hearts and ask these questions. If you can go through life daily, in and out, doesn't matter if you come to church or whatever you do, but if you can go through life apathetic, to God's word, apathetic to the sin in your life, or maybe even blind to it. If you can go apathetic to God's work in the world today and God's people and have no correction from God, he says here, 
You're illegitimate children, not sons. That's strong warning, isn't it? So rejoice at the discipline of God. That means when we undergo the discipline of God to wean us from sin and these encumbrances, it proves our adoption, doesn't it? It proves our adoption, and we ought to rejoice in that. But if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, and he's given an example from this earth, which I gave already. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, right? Our earthly fathers, even in their weaknesses and their failures, they disciplined us, and we respected them. Oh, that it were today. <laughs> we respected them. In other words, there's certain respect where we see, you know, even when your parents are rough on you, if you're a believer and you know they're a believer, you get alone after the fact and you say, man, I know mom and dad love me. I know they care for me. And I know this discipline is for my good. He's saying it's just like that relationship. It's a father-child relationship. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? Hmm? Yeah. Wouldn't it be wise? He's saying, wouldn't it be wise to bring yourself under the lordship and direction of Jesus Christ, yielding to his spirit as he directs you in his word all the time, daily? I want to just pause here and just make, a, a, again, another application. I'm finding that people's Bible reading is not... Some people, some people never read the Bible through. And their Bible, or they have a section they like, you know. Uh, and they go there and they, it's, just, it's on the dashboard and they pull it out on Sundays and it's on the dashboard all week or, or something like that. It's on the counter or wherever it might be. Well, where do we hear the words of God? Only in Scripture. You see, and as we neglect the Word of God, we start thinking our thoughts are... His thoughts, and like, I think it's Psalm 50 that talks about these wicked people just going astray. And, and it's, God says, and all this time you thought I was like you. <laughs> right? You think God's like who? Me. I know he says to meditate in his word day and night, but I'm different. I can be excused from this or consider me excused. So the reading of God's word and the praying back of that word, I think, are essentials to, under, to understanding the will of God and what he wants to do in you and through you. And not only that, but recognizing what is sin. Does that make sense? Have you ever, uh, you ever watched a movie or started to watch a movie that you watched when you were a young Christian? You're watching it along and you say, I can't believe I watched that thing. How, how could I sit through that thing? Well, because my conscience was not yet reformed, right? It was not, I'm still a babe in Christ. But what if that is still going on? You're sitting through things and doing things and listening to things and partaking in things that are contrary to not only God's word, but your own conscience. So he says, wouldn't it be better, shall not we much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? (laughs) Prove we're a child of God? Demonstrate that reality? And the answer is what? Verse 10 now is going to give us uh, the goal of this discipline. What's the goal of it? Verse 10, ready? For 
they disciplined us, that is our earthly parents, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. Right? And that, that's all a parent can do, really, Christian. What's best in the Lord? And think kids are a little rough on their parents sometimes, think they've got to be perfect and all the discipline's got to be... No, but they, it's what seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, right? He disciplines us for our good. And what is that good? Help me out in the end of the verse. What is that good? That we might share his holiness. That we might, Romans puts it this way, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. Peter puts it this way, that we might become partakers of the divine nature, that we might be like the master, right? That we might be like him. And if that's not our desire, if that's not in the heart, right, that desire to be like Christ, then the race won't be run, will it? It won't be run with diligence. Uh, we pursue things we love, amen? Yes. We, it's easy to pursue things we love. Call someone, hey, you want to go fishing? Yeah, yeah. go get the rod and reel, go get all the lures, and yeah, let's go. It's e- is, that a, is that a difficulty? No, it's easy. It's an easy thing. Someone says, hey, you want to get together and pick a little? I say, yeah, let's do it. When? It's easy to pursue that, isn't it? So we pursue what we love. But if Christ is... I heard someone say once, I've heard several say... Yeah, I just think, and I knew the church they were going to, and that it was a pretty good church. I just think church is boring, right? I just find the Bible boring. I said, I said, well, that's not the fault of the church. That tells me more about you than it tells about the church. It's not the church that's boring. It's your heart that's cold. It's your heart that's cold. And so what if we find that's true? You know, my heart is, go cry out to the Lord. <laughs> Look unto Jesus. God, change my heart. God, warm my heart. God, Kindle afresh the gift that is within me. So he says that we are to share his holiness. That's the positive thing. The negative in the endurance was what? Put aside all sin. And the positive is pursue his holiness. Pursue his holiness. All your life. All your life. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Then verse 11, we have a fact. Verse 11, all discipline, now listen, listen to this, all discipline, how much is that? Yep. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. I don't think the Lord's saying when you're under discipline, especially maybe strong rebuke or correction, or you're trying to get out of the mess, you know, it just seems so sorrowful. Well, that's how discipline works. Right? We put them in the court where they cry. and you know, you know, It works repentance. It's that sorrow that works repentance, you see? And it's not easy. But we are sorrowful, yet rejoicing. But nevertheless, the discipline itself doesn't seem joyful, does it? No. Hallelujah. I'm 100,000 in debt. <laughs> Trying to get out. It's not joyful fighting, let's say, to get out of debt. Fighting to... Save a marriage, uh, dealing with physical handicaps or limitations. But look at this. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Now look at this. 
Yet those who have been trained by it, those who have been trained by it, same word, like the training of an athlete. The training of an athlete. Here's an important word. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, the Christian reward is are, are, are long-term. Does that make sense? They are long-term. It's like a good coach, isn't it? A good... A good coach is doing things you may not understand, who's requiring things that you think are contrary maybe to our goals, but no, the purpose is long-term, long-term. So that afterwards, so that afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. How does that phrase sound, mom and dad's about your home? Wouldn't Wouldn't it be glory if always in the... Peaceful fruit of what? Everybody doing what's right. Everybody at peace with one another. Wow. That's the goal. That's a good goal, isn't it? It's a worthy goal. Okay, now 12, verse 12, there's two little things. Really, 12 and 13 are the same, but I have one that's sort of a negative, and the other one's more of a positive. This is very interesting in in verse, um, verse 12. You there? Therefore, in light of all this, in light of the fact that you've got to run the race, and in light of the fact that God's disciplining you for that purpose, to be conformed to the image of Christ, in light of all this, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Aha! What is he saying there? Strengthen the weak part. Does anybody here not have a weakness? Spiritually. Does anybody here not have a weakness of which they are aware? <laughs> I think we're all aware where, where, where I lean to, where my encumbrances are. Strengthen the weak part. A coach, a good coach, we might think of our, you know, if you listen to the player, right, they're the greatest player in the world. <laughs> but if you listen to the coach, the coach will say, well, we've got a lot of work to do here. That we tend to view ourselves by our strengths, don't we? Our accomplishments, our gifts, our abilities. And that's not bad. But God also takes into account the weak spot. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Watch the weak point. Work on it. I doubt any of you here today are going to go out and commit you know, any gross sin. I trust it's not the case. But we'll probably all go out and be tempted with a weak spot, right? Just some point of something, right? A weak spot. Strengthen those things. Strengthen them. That's why it's good to be in some form of of fellowship. I think like you are here, but maybe even a smaller group where you're encouraging one another, building up one another, and getting to know one another. Those are are what we call discipleship groups. Jesus and the Twelve, right? Paul and the entourage that he took with him. Uh, And we're not involved in those things. I think we don't see our weak points. Look at 13 now. So strengthen the parts that are weak. There's the weak. Now look at this. And make straight paths for your feet. Make straight paths for your feet. That's along the race. Listen to this. So that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. 
This is, this is so contrary, I think, to American Christianity. You know, we say, or many say, that, okay, I've got this weakness, but God understands, which he does, and God loves me, which he does, so I'll just sit back and what? Take my ease, eat, drink, and be married, right? But it says here, make straight paths. In other words, in that weakness, you know the weakness, right? Well, make, make, make something, even if it's on an external thing, even if it's a rigorous routine for yourself so that you don't make that weak part lame and totally put out of joint. If you do not... If you don't neglect a weak spot physically, and you're an athlete, and you just ignore it, what will happen? Will it get better? Our coach, our healing message from our football coach was always, take a lap, you know, and that was supposed to cure anything. Well, that might not cure everything. But listen, suppose, uh, suppose someone broke an arm. They broke their arm. You saw it was broken. And somebody said, listen, you need to... The doctor said, listen, you need to put a cast on that thing. You need to, we're going to reset it, but we're going to put a cast on that thing. All right? Suppose you reply and say, oh, doctor, don't be so legalistic. We don't believe in those external restrictions. You know, we believe we're just, we want to be, what, flowing free within, and everything will be cool and groovy. Right? No, we, what do we do with broken arms? We put a cast on them. Right? We force them to what? Grow straight. We make straight paths for that arm. So what is, this is not legalism. Legalism would be if I saw a weakness in me and made straight paths for my feet, and then all of a sudden I start telling everybody else they've got to make the same straight path for their feet. Does that make sense? Let me give you one illustration. For the longest time, we still don't have TV reception. We watch some DVDs and stuff. But we didn't have a TV in the house once for a short time. And I said, I've got to get rid of this thing. Not because I thought it was evil, necessarily, but I knew my propensity to just sit there, right? Watch football, baseball, basketball, the news, right? Just sort of veg out right there. So I had to make straight paths for my feet. I had to force myself to do something that was not yet formed within me. But listen, does that cast remain forever? No, then the, the, the cast is taken off and there's, there's strength back in that joint, you see? There's strength back, back in it. So I want to encourage you to just get rid of all these encumbrances and, and if they seem too strong for you, make straight paths for your feet. I was discipling a guy once. In fact, he lived with us. and um, he, I'd known him a long time, and he always had trouble falling back into drinking. You know, I think this man was a legitimate Christian, a genuine believer. But in the time before he came to us, I, you know, I said, well, what do you... He said, I said, how's the... The, the drinking thing, you know, he goes, well, I, I don't get drunk too often, but, you know, I get close. <laughs> and, and I said, well, do you, 
do you keep any, did you keep anything in the fridge? Well, yeah, only a you know, six-pack or two. And, and I said, well, listen, that's what makes straight paths. Get rid of the things. Well, is that going to make you? No, but it will assist you. Does that make sense? If you can get these things out of your life and make straight paths for your feet. I had another gentleman say when we lived down in Florida, he was asking me, he said, man, I'm having trouble with my thought life in the area of moral purity. He goes, every time I come home down Orange Blossom Trail, that's where all the joints were down in South Florida, you know. The, and he said, every time it just, it's, it's almost unbearable. To, I said, why don't you just take a different route home, you know. Why don't you take a ride on Oak Ridge or wherever it is, you're, you know, and just avoid that whole area. Wouldn't that be a help? Sure it would be, and it was a help. It did help. So let me review real quickly. One last point on that. If we don't strengthen that weak part, if we don't work on that or allow God to work on that, we're going to be characterized in the minds of others by our weakness. Does that make sense? So he's such a good man, but man, his anger just... You see? He's such a good man, but man, he's so often... He can't handle his money. He can't deal with his money. You see? We, don't we? Don't we do that? We think of people by their weakness. If you don't know your weakness, come ask me. I'll do it. No, I'm <laughs> You see what I'm saying, though? He says, strengthen that weakness, lest it be put out of joint. So while we're evaluating ourselves, saying, I am and there is none besides me, you know, I'm wonderful. I'm strong based on all. Well, there's some weaknesses there that might characterize you in the eyes of others that makes you not a source of encouragement and building up for them. So deal with it, right? Deal with it. Let me review real quickly. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Three, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Four, consider him who endured. Look at what he endured in fulfilling the will of God. Number five, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, because those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Number six, strengthen the weak part. Number seven, make straight paths for your feet. Amen? Let me pray for us.